turn with me to Mark chapter 14 as we read another section of this account that Mark, one of the uh, companions of the apostles, um, very possibly one of the uh, one of the young men who was hanging around the disciples when they were hanging around Jesus, so um, an eyewitness of many of these things. Um, Mark chapter 14, showing us who Jesus, the Son of God, is, the one that we were singing about, our good, good Father, who is perfect in all of his ways. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Now this is Jesus with his disciples as they're leaving the the upper room and, and heading back to the Mount of Olives. He says this, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others did the same. We're going to stop there. That's that's all we're going to look at this morning. Very, very brief section, but a very, very disturbing one. Disturbing for for the, the apostles. Not, not as disturbing for us because most of us have read not only all of Mark, but we've read all of Matthew, we've read all of Luke, we've read all of John. We know this story. We know that what Jesus said in this moment, even though they didn't know this, we know that it's going to happen just like he said it, like it happened. So this doesn't catch us off guard at all. But imagine being them. And him telling you, you're going to fall away. In fact, to be more specific as he gets to answering Peter's objections to his prophecy, he says, you're going to disown me. Not just once, not just twice. You're going to disown me three times, all tonight. Now, did you notice that Peter and the others didn't say anything about the second thing that Jesus said. Did you notice the second thing that Jesus said? And when I'm risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, talk about something to ask them something about. That would be the thing, but the first thing God the first thing got their attention, took their attention, stole their attention, kept it. I don't even know that they even heard the second thing. 
Because the first thing was so disturbing to them that they, his best friends, I mean, remember, these guys had been with him through everything. These three years, they had seen a lot of action. We've seen a lot of that action in the Gospel of Mark. There was even a time when, when so many people left him because they didn't like his message, they didn't like what he was teaching, so many people left him, he asked them, are you guys going to leave too? But not these guys. Remember what they said? No. Where else would we go? Who else has the words of, of eternal life? They, they knew who they were with, and they were not leaving, and now he says they're going to fall away. And he says it with his authority. Remember, everybody who heard Jesus teach Lots of times after the messages are over, it says about the, the, the audience, they were amazed at his teaching because he spoke as one who had authority. That was his trademark. Well, in this particular case, he was also speaking as one who has authority, like he normally did. And he bases what he's saying about them on a scripture from the Old Testament. We read it this morning in our scripture reading, Zechariah chapter 13. Jesus quotes from that and, and makes it a very personal quotation when he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is God speaking of his son, the good shepherd, our shepherd, he's going to strike him. And in that, as, as he's striking him, the sheep, his disciples, are going to be scattered. Now he's also, and this happens in many of the prophecies, and we've talked about this, he's also talking about the children of Israel in general being scattered. Because there's coming a time when the children of Israel, like these apostles on this particular day, are going to be scattered. There's coming a day, in fact, one major time when this happened was in AD 70. We, and we talked about that when we were in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 13. But in, in AD 70, when, when Titus was the emperor of Rome, he was going to, to have... Jerusalem, you know, put under siege. And, and, and he was going to scatter the children of Israel all over the world. So that was going to happen then. It's, it's going to happen again at the end of things. The day of the Lord that we were talking about from, from Mark chapter 13. That the children of Israel are going to be scattered. But at this particular point, he's specifically talking about these particular sheep. These 11 guys, because remember, one of them wasn't with him at this moment. Remember, Judas had already made his agreement with the high priest. He'd already made his, his agreement with the Sanhedrin, the ruling elders, that he was going to betray Jesus. He was out doing that. He was gathering those guys together. He was meeting with them, getting them ready to bring them to the Garden of Gethsemane to have Jesus arrested. So there were only 11 guys here in this particular case, but these 11 are going to be scattered. And they said, no, not us. 
like I hope we would say, no, not us. We can't even, I, I don't want to identify with these guys. I, I like to identify with them a lot, but I don't want to identify with them in this, in, in this particular point. I don't want to be one who would deny the Lord Jesus. And then I think about myself a little bit. And I realize that sometimes I do. And I would and I would say with Peter, I'll die for you. But then sometimes I don't die for him. Sometimes I'm not willing to die for him. But I know their story. And I'm so thankful this morning that we have this. And I'm so thankful that even though it didn't appear to impact them very much, I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't stop his statement with, you guys are all going to fall away. He didn't end it there. We notice this. Again, they may not have noticed it at the moment. Later on, they would. Later on, they'll see all of it. As as a matter of fact, they're going to have, you know, Peter probably is, is having Mark write this to remind them and all of the people that were learning about him then and now that the next part of the story is equally important. After I've risen, you guys are going to fall away, but after I've risen, I'll go before you in Galilee. You know what he's saying there? I'm going to forgive you. You're claiming right now that you're not going to do this. You're going to do this. Peter, you're especially going to do this. And you're going to do it in a big way. And remember, when Peter did do it, he did it in a big way. He did it with gusto. But that wasn't the end. Oh, I bet he felt like it was the end. But that wasn't the end. And Jesus lets them know, again, they weren't paying particular attention, but he lets them know that it's not going to be the end. Because they fall away is not the end of their life with him. It's not the end of their faith. It's not the end of what he's going to do in and through their lives. He's just getting started. Because he is going to rise again. Oh, the the shepherd's going to be struck down. That is, that is a reality. That was happening later on this very night and the next day. He is going to be struck down through many different sufferings. I'm sure telling them this story right then was part of that suffering. You know, there had to be a part of him. And remember, he's fully man, fully God. He's hard for us to understand because he's so unique. But that loving father part of him, both man and God, didn't want to break it to them that they weren't going to hang with him, that they were going to, that they were going to run, in fact, disown him. But he tells them that story as part of his suffering because he is being struck down.
not because of anything that he had done to deserve this. Remember who he is. He is their creator. He's the creator of the very people that Judas is going to lead to arrest him. He is their creator. He's the creator of the very people that are going to put him on trial and condemn him to death. He's their creator. He made this world. Not just the people in it. He made the whole thing. And as we read the story of creation, everything that he made was good. He did not deserve this. But he was going to the cross, being struck down by God himself in judgment for sin. Not his sin, he didn't have any. But for the sins of those that I've just mentioned, and beyond those that I just mentioned, our sin. The sin of the whole world. Not just the known world at his time, the sin of the whole world everywhere of all time. He died for our sins. He was judged for our sins. In fact, that's why we're not going to be judged for our sins. Those of us who believe in him, because of him being struck down, as he mentioned that he would be, as God prophesied that he would be from Zechariah 13, because he took upon himself the judgment of God, we will never be judged for our sins. That's why they call it the gospel. And remember, gospel means good news. That's why it's called good news. That's how something that could be associated with that could be called good news. Because remember what that is. That's a device of execution. That is a very strange thing to have, to have in the front of a, of a room to call attention to it. A very strange thing. You, you don't, unless you're going to some gross museum, you will not see electric chairs on display for people to come and go, oh, isn't that awesome? Now that's a beautiful electric chair. I love your electric chair. Speaking of your ear, your earrings or your necklace. Or that guillotine is amazing. Now see, this is a very strange thing to have up in display. We have it because it's good news. What took place on it is good news for us and for Jesus. Even for Jesus. Because remember how he was able to do it, how he was able to go through it. Do you remember how it's described in Hebrews chapter 12? It says, keep your eyes, we won't turn to it right now, but it says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. The cross is good news for Jesus. Oh, it was hard. We can't even, I mean, I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't be able to say that. 
Because no, we obviously don't know how hard. We cannot appreciate how hard that cross was for him to take upon himself all of our sins, having done nothing to deserve it except for make us and love us. Oh, it was hard for him. But it was good for him and it was good for us. Because through that cross, through his work on that cross, through his being struck down by God as described in Zechariah chapter 13, God was doing the amazing work of salvation. And remember, Jesus is the ultimate benefactor. No, excuse me, beneficiary of the work on the cross. You think, wait a minute, we are. Our sins are forgiven. But you know what you know what happened because our sins are forgiven? And this is part of what the joy that was set before him, this is what made it so good for him. As he was looking beyond it, looking at what was going to happen because of it. The people that he made who put their trust in him are from that moment on going to be able to live their lives to glorify him. To bring him the glory that he deserves. He wasn't getting it in this moment. He wasn't getting it from his his disciples even. I mean, listen, they're arguing with him again. Peter especially said, no, I'm not, no, 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 no. You are wrong. It's not a good thing to say to the the Savior. Not a good thing to say to your maker, to say to to the, the righteous judge. You're wrong. This wasn't, this wasn't a great moment for him to have, to have them argue with him. But it was going to do something through it that was going to be amazing for them and for him. He knew what, what, what was going to happen in Peter's life. He knew that Peter was going to live his life in service for him. And even though he wasn't going to die for Jesus that, day, that night. He was still going to die for Jesus. In John 21, we, again, we won't turn to it at this moment. In John 21, Jesus very clearly told, told Peter that he was going to die for him. In the way that he described it, the apostle John said, by saying this, he indicated the type of death by which Peter would glorify God. You hear that? God can be glorified through death. God's glorified in the death of Christ. In the act of his dying, but also in the results of his dying. That's why we're here. And we are encouraged by this word this morning. Because it doesn't stop with his death. The, the, the disciples were so consumed with his statement that they were going to forsake him, that they were going to fall away, that they were going to turn away from him, they missed the fact that he was going to be struck down and they missed the fact that he was going to be raised from the dead. Two pretty important things. 
They're like us, though, a lot. We get, we get sidetracked on what's going on in this six-foot six circle around us. We get somewhat distracted by all this activity going on right around here. And you have your own little circles where it's all centered around so often. Well, that's, that was happened to those guys. But Jesus was ve- being very clear to them. Yeah, they were going to sin. They were going to fall away. But that wasn't going to stop him from being struck down, and that wasn't going to stop him from being raised, to get, raised again, and it wasn't going to stop him from having fellowship with those guys again. You see, their sin wasn't going to break their relationship. It was going to break their fellowship, but it wasn't going to break their relationship. He was announcing to them, and again, they were going to think about this later, you know, after, this, after these things took place. Oh, that's what he's talking about. He told us that he was going to be raised back up, and he was going to meet us. And so the relationship continues. We are encouraged by this this morning because we get to see the whole thing. We, we get to see, I, I, one of the things I love about the song, He's a Good, Good Father, it, is when, when I think about my dad, who's also, you know, not on the same level of good, good father, but my dad's a good father. And my dad had a great grasp of the bigger picture when I was younger. I didn't have that great a grasp of it. But he had a great grasp of the big picture. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, has a grasp of the big picture. And he has shared that picture with us in his word. And so when we look at passages like this that are so confusing to the apostles, they're so enlightening to us. Because we get to see it all. We, we, we get distracted by different things, but we get to, we get to stay right here. The, the, Jesus said this to these guys in just like five seconds. And, it was, and he was, and he was on, into the garden. He's, he's well into the garden and what's going on in there while we're still talking about what he said here. This is a blessing for us to be able to do this. This is a gift from God that we get to look at this whole thing. We even get to look at the whole, the whole passage from Zechariah. You know, which, which is so rich and full. And, it, and, it, and again, if they were thinking about it, because they knew this passage very well, this is one of the great passages on the kingdom of God. This is, this is one of the passages that, that gave them hope for what was going to be happening in the future. This is why they, were, why they were arguing about who was the greatest among them, because they believed the kingdom was coming, which it is. They thought it was coming quickly, and that they wanted to have the best seats in it. That's why they were arguing about those things, because they knew passages like Zechariah 13. That amazing passage that predicts and prophesies that over half of the, of the Israelites during the tribulation are going to be lost, are going to be killed. But that a third of them at least are going to be saved. That is an incredible thought. And they are going to praise him. That's what this is about, remember. That's why the gospel is good news for Jesus, because we are going to praise him. We're going to do what he made us to do. 
that he enables us to do because of what he did for us on the cross, because he was struck down, because he rose again, we can praise him in spite of the fact that we, like his apostles, have all fallen away. We have all, at one time or another, since coming to faith in Christ, I'm not talking about before Jesus, I'm talking since we've come to faith in Christ, we have all turned away from him in one way or another. And that doesn't stop him from restoring our fellowship with him. Because remember, our relationship with him is never broken. The Holy Spirit sees to that who comes into our lives when we believe in him and gives us a new nature, a nature that is in fellowship and has relationship with God and can have fellowship with God. And when we sin, that fellowship is broken, but the relationship isn't. And that's why God was so gracious to us through the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 9, where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He was going to do that for these, for these apostles. And remember, that forgiveness, that restoration of, of, of the fellowship, that is based on his faithfulness and on his justice. It's very important that you, that you don't skip through those two words when you're, when you're thinking about that, that statement on confession. He is faithful and just. That's what that's all about right there. We, we hang this cross as a picture of good news, this, this, ex, this instrument of execution, because that is a picture of the justice of God. God judged our sin on that cross. Based on that, he will forgive us when we confess. He, st- he said he would. That's where the faithfulness comes in. He said he would. He took care of it on the cross, and he promised that if we confess our sins, he will forgive them. He will restore our fellowship with him, just as he was going to restore his fellowship with these apostles. Don't be sidetracked by your sin. Don't be sidetracked by you having not been faithful to him in one way or another or many ways. Remember that he knew all about what you've done. Didn't catch him off guard. It didn't, he didn't say, okay, that's it. That's, that's the final straw. We would have understood if he had said that to the guys. We'd have gotten it. We've, we've been reading the story. They weren't getting it. They were very slow in understanding these things. Okay, that's it. No, he didn't do that. And he, isn't, he hasn't done that with us. He knows what our fallings away have been. And he still wants to have our fellowship restored. Just as he did for his apostles, he will also do for us. But also, just as he did for his apostles, he will establish a relationship with you if you haven't had that relationship yet. If you haven't been forgiven of your sins initially, 
by putting your trust in Jesus? If you haven't recognized him before as the, as the one who died on the cross to save you from your sins, he will do that today. These guys, they already had that relationship with him. As many here at Midway have already had that relationship. What we need to be thinking about in many cases is restoring that fellowship. But some here haven't put, put their trust in Christ yet. They haven't believed yet. And so I would encourage you, I would implore you, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I would implore you, on, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Take care of that business today. Jesus did this for you. Put your trust in him. Receive from him the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and the promise of eternal fellowship with him. Receive that from him. Don't wait. Don't get, don't get sidetracked by anything like the apostles may have gotten sidetracked. Look at what his word says. He was struck down for you. He rose again to give you eternal life and to have fellowship with him for the rest of this life. Take advantage of all that. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your great patience with your apostles. They're quite a crew. And when we thank you for your patience with them, we also thank you for your patience with us. Because we're quite a crew too. And we don't glory this morning in our identification with them in the fact that we, like them, have fallen away at times when we didn't die to ourselves and live unto you as you've enabled us to by the power of your Holy Spirit. That we've done our own thing in the old way. And we want to thank you for your faithfulness to forgive us when we confess these sins to you. But Father, we also thank you for the the relationship that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And we pray for those here this morning who, who don't know of that relationship yet. Oh, they've heard about it. They've heard about it this morning. And, and probably many other times as well, but they don't know of it personally yet because they still haven't received Jesus. They still haven't believed in his name. And so we ask that you would help them this morning. Give them the faith, the courage, the wisdom to put their trust in Jesus. Help them to see how wise it is to let this world go and the things of this world go to gain you and eternal life. Help them to do that today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.